Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. In this episode, we're having a replay of my classic and much-loved Halloween candy episode. So we're going to be digging into all things sweet treats around the holidays, and I'm going to be sharing kind of how my family handles this, how we moved from being a family that had kids that were preoccupied with sweets to where kids feel really relaxed and easygoing about sweets and are able to listen to their bodies and stop before their tummies hurt. About midway through the episode, I will be answering some listener questions about how we handle this and this approach to uh, sweet treats and candy around the holidays. And then at the end, I'm going to be just talking briefly about how Halloween is looking differently for our family and for many other families in the times that we are living in, kind of how Halloween is working for us in the midst of a global pandemic. The amazing nerdy girls at Dear Pandemic, who will be joining us in just a couple of weeks to talk about intentional holiday planning in the midst of a global health crisis, have given me some tips for Halloween specifically that I want to share with you. So I'll share those at the end of the episode. All right, here we go. Hi, happy Halloween. And I did want to just pop in real quick and chat with you all about how to have a balanced approach to Halloween candy and sweet treats kind of all throughout the year, but especially as we get started on this Halloween and holiday season. So even if you don't celebrate Halloween, I know across the world, many cultures and religions start including more and more sweet treats around this time of year through various celebrations. And so I just wanted to address that real quick. And today we're going to be talking about how I handle Halloween candy and other sweet treats in our house. So I want to tell a little bit about my journey around food and being a mom. So I had a traumatic birth that included an emergency cesarean for me and a NICU stay, a neonatal intensive care unit stay for my baby when I was a new mom. And in the midst of attempting to cope with that trauma and manage my fear and anxiety over all the things I couldn't control, which was an intense source of fear and anxiety for me as a new mom, I attempted to control pretty much everything that I could. And this manifested in a number of ways from how people interacted and held my 
baby to the food that my baby ate. And that was probably the biggest and the heaviest of the areas where I attempted to gain control and reduce anxiety. And so um, as a part of our NICU stay, my um, baby was force-fed formula until she threw up. And this happened after a nurse arbitrarily decided that I wasn't making enough milk to satisfy her. She was a big baby. And after that, the food issue was really intense for me. And I am so grateful um, that I had medical interventions that helped save me and my child. And I'm so grateful that formula is an option for so many moms who need it for their mental health or their well-being of themselves and their babies. That's wonderful. Or just because it's their choice. I'm definitely in the fed is best category. But for me, having in my own trauma process, I very much felt like my body failed me in needing that emergency cesarean. And I've done a lot of personal work and growth there. I'm not in that place anymore. But back then, that's where I was. And I was determined to have control over the things that I could control, including what went into my child's body. That manifested in while my child was solely breastfeeding, really controlling what I ate. I developed a little bit of orthorexia, which is an obsession around only eating really, really abundantly healthy whole foods. That has taken me a while to heal from. And then when my child started eating, I was really controlling about the foods that went into her body. I focused only on whole foods. I didn't allow any sugars or sweets or treats besides fruit for the most part. And when she was about two, I started realizing that when she saw or had access to sweet treats, she had very little control over them and much beyond what I think of as is typical around of little ones around full sugar cakes and cookies. So she became preoccupied with them. If they were in the house or within her vision, she couldn't stop talking about them until she knew when she was going to be have a chance to have some. And in those moments, I had this flashback to a moment when I was a child and I'd gone over to a friend's house. And at this particular friend's house, they had all sorts of sweet and sugary cereals. And this was something that in my house, it was those sugary cereals were called treat cereals. And it was something that we were only allowed to have on Saturday mornings and only when they were cut in half with a non-sugary cereal like Cheerios. And I remember being in my friend's house that day and making myself sick, eating bowl after bowl of Fruity Pebbles and Lucky Charms and Apple Jacks because I had no control over it. And I started thinking about how I felt around sweets even now as an adult. And I realized that I felt very out of control with them, that I had very little self-regulation and that they caused quite a bit of anxiety for me. And so I started talking about this with my husband, who has one of the best relationships with sweets and snacks that I've ever seen. He's very relaxed and chill about them. And so I started asking, how did that happen? What was it like in your house growing up? And he talked about how he had pretty much open access to sweets. And so we started Started making some decisions about how we were maybe going to move forward with our family. And I was a professor at the time when I started really looking into this. And so, of course, I turned to the research. And that's where I found a lot of great nursing and health research. But a website that synthesizes it really well is called the Ellen Satter Institute. And her work on nutrition is so wonderful. I love her website. She's got lots of great thoughts on all of these topics. And it's all evidence-based. And that's something that is a value for me. So I wanted to share some of the things that I learned today and share them in particular around how to handle Halloween, kind of how we approach it in our 
family. And this is something that I have been really gentle with myself on. Around this time, I started deciding to heal my own relationship with food. And I started reading mindful eating and intuitive eating books and working on that. And so I've been really gentle with myself as I've learned more and reduced my own anxiety and become more present with food. Um, I've been able to bring that and offer that to my children. And so this is something that has evolved over time. And that was really hard to put into practice at first. So just know that if this is something that you've been controlling your kids' food or your sugar intake or you, you still are and you're happy with it, that's great. I just want to share what I've read through the research and what works for me and for my family and kind of what how this is evolving. So the first one I want to offer you is that food is just food. I think it's really important for us to understand that assigning a label, a good versus bad or a judgment is actually really counterproductive because it creates an opportunity for an environment of guilt and shame around food and it allows that guilt and shame to flourish. And so when it comes to categorizing food as good food or bad food or healthy food and junk food, it can really create this sense of the forbidden and shame and guilt around it. We tend to call food that is more focused on growing our bodies as growing foods, and we call food that is for fun and maybe doesn't have as much nutritional value but is an important part of a healthy, balanced life. We call that food play food. And so we talk with our kids about how it's important to have growing foods and it's also important to have play foods, just like it's important to have educational learning times and it's important to have fun, free time where you're just relaxed too. So having a good balance is a big thing for us. I also think it's really important to think about treats and Halloween candy from a scarcity versus abundance mindset. So if we go into it with this is candy that we're never going to have access to again, it's only there one time a year, it can create a lot of anxiety and a lot of scarcity. We're human beings who evolved during many, many periods of scarcity and we are biologically and neurologically driven to hoard and food, to eat food when we have access to it, when we think that it might be a scarce resource in the future. Those are biological drives that we don't have a lot of control over. And so having an abundance mindset, letting sweets and treats be part of your balanced life and your daily life can reduce the anxiety and the scarcity around Halloween candy. So this isn't just in the moment, the day of, but kind of shifting and adjusting the perspective throughout the day. And then the other piece I want to share with you is that kids really do need a chance to learn to self-regulate. What research tells us is that if kids are given the chance to eat without interference, they naturally choose a varied and balanced diet. Maybe not over the course of a day or even a week, but generally over the course of a month, their diets will balance out. So that's something that's really important to keep in mind and that Halloween or, you know, Christmas cookies or, you know, Ramadan feasts, like these are things that happen only during special times of the year. And it's not like I'm telling you to sit, let your child sit down with a bucket of candy every single day of the year, right? These are special times. And if they don't ever get a chance to have unlimited access to some of these treats, they won't learn to listen to their body and develop that ability to recognize signals and satisfied, you know, if they aren't given the chance. So one thing that was really interesting, made a lot of cake for my daughter and a lot of frosting for my daughter for her sixth birthday. And we did a lot of taste testing, you know, a lot of trying it all out. And she said to me something that was just brilliant and beautiful. And that is true in that scientists had to do lots of research on to find out about. Um, she said, you know, I really like the first couple bites of this cake, but now it doesn't taste so good. So I'm not going to eat anymore. And it was like, 
brilliant. Like this is what intuitive eating tells us. This is what eating science tells us that those first couple bites really satisfy. And if we're really listening to our bodies, usually the next few bites aren't as satisfying and we can stop then. And I love and admire their intuitive abilities to do this. And I do think that they're so deserving of trust. When it comes to Halloween or holidays specifically, I highly recommend having very few limits, so very generous limits around this. It's wonderful if you can to have a hearty meal before you go trick-or-treating or before you know that they're going to go maybe to a party where there is going to be you know, birthday cake or whatever. So like if we know we're going to a birthday party, our snack before the birthday party will usually be heavy on protein and veggies without really telling them that. That's just what we will serve that day. And then when they go to the party, they can eat whatever they want. They have to feel any pressure or anxiety. So, you know, having a hearty meal before they go out trick-or-treating so that you can be sure that they've had something balanced and then you can reduce that anxiety around what they're eating. Or maybe you don't experience anxiety and that's like, that's totally my piece. And I, I know that I'm being present and mindfully aware that that's what's going on and that my compulsion to say, are you sure you want that last piece of candy? Listen to your body. That's about me. And that's about my anxiety and that I need to trust them. And so having that going through my mind as we're walking along the streets, it's hard. It's not easy for me but yes having a nice hearty meal beforehand and then that night having that day where you're collecting the candy or maybe if we're talking about a different holiday having that day have them have unrestricted access to whatever it is that they've collected it's really fun to let kids dump out their stash sort through it pick out their favorite things I do have a bit of a bias on certain types of candies just because of the fair trade issue the slavery issue around chocolates and so I often will have a stash of chocolates like uh, fair trade peanut butter cups and M&Ms and those types of things that we can trade out for the more the Hershey brand, which is just a brand that I choose not to support. So I usually have that as an option that my kids can trade out. But that's not a health thing. That's a more of a social justice thing for me. But from a health perspective, they can choose to eat as much as they want before bedtime. And then we'll head to bed. And the next day, they can also have some candy here and there throughout the day as they ask for it and without any real like stress or limits on it. And then from then on, all the candy gets dumped into their snack bin. And that's the bin that they can choose a treat from when it comes time to have like a dessert or a treat with dinner or with another meal or snack. So that's pretty much what we do. Um, they get to pick one or two pieces to have with lunch or dinner in the, in the following few days. And then usually they've forgotten about it. And often we ask if we, they want to share it with some of the poor grad students that work in their dad's building. And they usually do. But that's just a generosity thing and not a thing trying to get the candy out of the house. We do have a rule that candy isn't allowed, like, allowed in people's rooms. And that's the rule for all of us because we like to eat as a family. There's no need to hide it. And we always tell our kids, you know, if there's a time when you feel like getting it and you think you have to keep it a secret, just tell us and we'll make sure you get to have as much as you want. So we're really trying to reduce anxiety around it. And part of this is we have to do this because we were so restrictive in those early years, especially with my older daughter. She can have a little bit of anxiety about what she's going to have access to and when she's going to have access to it again. And so we continue to have to really 
encourage her in having that abundance mindset, if that makes sense. So Ellen Satter, the Institute advocates for the division of responsibility. And as a part of that um, philosophy around child feeding is that typically desserts or sweets, you get one serving served with your meal, not as a dessert afterwards. We just, that's just the name of it in our house. It doesn't have anything to do with the timing that it's served, but it's served with the meal and they self-regulate about when they're going to eat it and how much of their serving. But then at a few times throughout the year, they get unrestricted access. And so one of the things that our first experience with this was not actually at Halloween. It was at this brunch at our country club where they have essentially an entire room filled with like cupcakes and cakes and mousse and pie and just like cookies, frosting, and like it's unreal the amount of <laughs> sugar and baking that are in that room. And so, yeah, the first time she went there, she got a little sick to her tummy. And then the next time we went to a buffet, kind of holiday buffet at our country club, she chose a few treats. She had one bite of each and said, okay, now I need to have some growing foods because my tummy is going to hurt without any prompting. And at one point then she went back maybe to her cookies again. And then she said, grandpa, will you take me for a walk? Because my tummy is starting to feel really full of I need to stretch. Anyway, that first time can be stressful, but that's part of the learning process. That's a natural consequence of not knowing how to regulate and not knowing when to stop. And that's how they learn. So the thing about it is, is so if you remember back to the story that I told about myself and having that binge at my friend's house, of those sweet cereals, I didn't have a chance to learn about that, about how to regulate myself around sweet cereals because I went back into a restrictive environment. And so that's the thing. So if we're going to help our children learn to have good self-regulation around sweets and treats and these types of foods, we need to continue to give them opportunities to learn about this process and make mistakes and grow, you know, and keep fine tuning, really being able to get in touch and listen to their safety signals. And that's another thing that research shows is that children who have been heavily controlled in terms of what they eat, when they eat, how much they eat when they're eating, those children, research shows, are much less likely to listen to their bodies and be able to tell when they're full and when they're hungry. So we actually train our children, when we're controlling around food, we train our children not to listen to their bodies anymore. And we totally disrupt this beautiful, healthy eating process that they have naturally as human animals. So really, this is one of the areas we're getting out of kids' way. And I say that, I feel like I say that a lot anyway, that we need to get out of kids' way and let them learn, this food is really an area where that needs to happen. So, so is there an age that is too young to give unrestricted access? I still think like when children are a year and under, they're growing so fast. They and their brains and their bodies are being built out of the food that we give them. So yes, of course, during those even like three and under, they're growing so fast, particularly their brains, that they need lots of access to really healthy, balanced nutrition. But so we're not talking about giving unrestricted access all the time. So you get to decide how much you're giving or how many chances for it you're giving. So like Halloween is one time of year. These brunches that we go to at my country club are, you know, three or four times a year. Those are the unrestricted access of maybe a birthday party or a Christmas party. Those are those times of unrestricted access. 
Otherwise, sweets and treats are limited to one serving during meals. And I learned about this with my first and started doing it right from the get-go with my second. And after she was a year and could start having honey as a sweetener, because that's a botulism risk, right? So children under one shouldn't have honey. And I used honey a lot just because my parents have bees on their farm and we get a lot of honey and it's delicious. So after she turned one, I started giving her her serving of whatever treat or dessert we were having and she would choose to eat it and she's so funny she our two children are so different one of them will eat half of her desserts first then eat the rest of our foods and then finish with the dessert or maybe she'll eat most of it eat the rest of the foods and save like one bite and she always wants to finish with the dessert whereas our other one will kind of go in a pattern around have a bite of this or this and then back to the dessert and then usually we'll leave half of her dessert there on the plate and won't finish it and they just have different methods and strategies in their self regulation. But I mean, I think a year is a good time to get started on that just simply from a nutrition perspective. So how would you approach giving candy or treating with kids with allergies? So I think that's so important. I have a separate basket at our house with allergen friendly and non food treats and prizes. And so we have, you know, pencils and little finger puppets, not very many of them, because we don't get a lot of those kids in our neighborhood in our particular neighborhood. But I always have a separate basket for them. And I guess that's how I handle it. I would try my hardest. I would let them trick or treat. And if a house has an allergen friendly option, great. If they don't, I would still let them take the candy because it's fun to collect candy. Just it's pretty and, you know, like psychologists design the packaging, right, to entice us. So it's fun to collect it anyway and then have a stash of things that are treats that are, you know, allergen approved for your child that they can trade for and as much as they want so that you can have this unrestricted, still have this abundant feeling in a way that's safe for your child. So in this model, taking sugar cereal as an example, I would decide that once a month, for example, they can have unrestricted access to sugar cereal for one breakfast and then the rest of the month sugar cereal would be off limits. You could do it that way. So for us and our family, I have chosen instead to focus on buying cereal that maybe is a little sweet, but that also has, like we buy some that is made out of navy beans and pinto beans and then black beans. Uh, So we have these Cheerios that actually have a lot of protein in them, but they're also chocolatey. I know that they're getting a good serving of protein. And I also serve it with a protein, like a pea protein milk that they love and think is a wonderful treat. And that those two things are in the sweet spot of being a play food and a growing food all at the same time. And my kids love it when they can have a play food and a growing food together. And so they get to have chocolate milk and chocolate cereal every Saturday morning. I actually don't know that I would put cereal like that off limits generally. Like this morning, they asked if they could have cereal for breakfast and we said yes. And even though normally it's a Saturday thing for us. So yeah, again, you don't want to create the sense of scarcity around it. So if your concern is sending them to school with a sugary cereal, instead of like creating that sense of abundance, just don't do it at breakfast time. Because I don't like sending my kids to school or daycare without a full belly full of protein and food that's going to last for them. I know that their teachers don't like me to send them to school that way either. So do it at snack time or do it as a dessert. Let them, if they want that as a sweet treat to have with dinner one night, let them have it that way. So kind of take that pressure off around the time where you serve it so that you don't have to be worried about the nutrition. 
in the moment of like going to school and breakfast and can bring that abundance in at other times of day. So I call them growing foods and play foods. So calling it a not growing food also makes a hierarchy. Um, so in our house, growing foods and play foods have the same value. Play foods are a really important part of your life and growing foods are a really important part of our life and having a healthy relationship to food and having a healthy growing body. And it's wonderful if foods can be play foods and growing foods all at the same time. So like I make this really delicious avocado chocolate pudding. It's super good and it's really healthy and the kids eat it and it's a treat and they love it. Or I make these chocolate chip banana muffins that they eat for breakfast and it's like they are getting to eat cookies or cupcakes for breakfast. They, That's how they feel about it and I feel really good about the amount of protein in them because I'm made with oats and Greek yogurt, you know, that has full fat and tons of protein and they're really satisfying. So what about sugar as a stimulant or predisposition to seeking sugar or caffeine? So there is actually pretty clear research that sugar does not induce hyperactivity in children. And so that's a worry or a myth that I can feel comfortable busting and we don't have to worry about it so much. Also, can I mandate that they donate a portion of their candy to their school's candy drive? Um, I don't know about mandate, but letting them choose, presenting that as an option, you know, what telling them the good and benefit that it does and, you know, talking about their role as citizens within their school community and all of those things. I mean, if those are conversations that you're generally having, which I know you and I think you probably are, um, it wouldn't be too far out of the kind of realm of possibility to talk about, you know, like, well, your school has this candy drive every year. How much do you want to contribute this year? Letting them choose and let that be child-led and directed. Research also shows that kids feel more satisfied with candy eating sessions if they are allowed to have their favorite things. And so really making sure that if there are a few things that are your child's favorite, they get to keep all of those things. They will be much more likely to let go of some of the other things if you're like wanting to donate, you know, to a candy drive or we donate to the poor grad students at UW Madison. They're much more likely to do the do that if they can be confident that they get to keep their favorites. Oh, and I did want to just touch on the switch witch real quick. I know lots of people do that and it works really well for their families and that's great if it does and I get asked about it a lot. Um, it's not something that we do in our house but I'm happy that it works so well for other people and I also know that lots of dentist office trade in candy and that can be really fun for kids too. So there are some foods I'm just not comfortable with my toddler having in general. On a day like a Halloween or party that's one thing but if if it's just a random day, I'd rather choose another play food. Is there space in the system for recognizing that my kid is in the mood for a sweet and having a swap on hand? Yeah, there's definitely room for that. Like, for example, my kids love lollipops. They love suckers. And I don't like saying no when they ask about them all the time, but I also don't love all of the ingredients that are in most suckers. And so I choose to buy xylitol sweetened suckers that are their holistic dentist approves and wants them to have five servings of xylitol a day anyway. And so when they ask for a sucker, I can say yes. Or I get Manuka honey ones that are essentially like a cough lozenge for the winter time. And I can say yes to those things. So yes, having an alternative that has ingredients that you're comfortable with is great. And it's also, it is okay to say no. 
these little kids are learning how to self-regulate and learning that we don't always have access to the things that we want, but that they are always going to be there. So when we're at the grocery store and we see the cookies and the candies and the caramels, sometimes those are in our budget or in our agenda for the day and sometimes they're not. So one day I was shopping with my, she was I think four and a half then, maybe five. And she said, oh, I wish we could get some caramels today. And I said, oh, they're just not on our list today. That's not what we have plans. I mean, she goes, okay, I know that they'll always be in the store and I can, we can come back and get them another time. Right. And this was like such a, like a proud, like hashtag parenting win moment for me because it took me a good 33 years of life to learn that. I was 33 when I realized I don't have to eat this candy that's right in front of me right now. If I really want it, it will be there. And if it's not there, I'm a grown woman. I can go and buy it at the store. It took me forever to realize that. And she, at five or four and a half, whenever it was, so wise, she knew that. And that's because I had given her the chance to learn it and didn't get in her way and hand her all of my stuff. So, you know, I didn't jump fully into this. It took me like two or three years to do it. And I did it gradually. So you don't have to just tear off the Band-Aid if that doesn't work for you. Find a way to make this fit in with your personal family philosophy. I just am offering what we do, what works for us and what the research says. And so the research really is on, you know, not labeling food as good or bad, having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset and giving kids the chance to learn to self-regulate and listen to their body. And all of that can fit within your own personal style and your own family value. So I really don't want to make you think that there's just one valid way of doing this. There isn't what works for us. And it's taken us a while to get there too. Okay, so like very many other things in the world right now, Halloween is going to look a little bit different for all of us. So there are a few things that you can do to make sure that you have a healthy and safe and fun Halloween. I'm gonna share what I'm planning with my family in just a minute, but I wanted to send you some resources. So my friends at Dear Pandemic have a couple of great posts on Halloween. You can find them on Facebook, facebook.com slash dear, like as in you're writing a letter, dear, Dear Pandemic. They have some great Halloween posts. And then one of the contributors to Dear Pandemic, my friend Malia, has an article on Slate. Both of those links are going to be in the show notes for you. So go check those out. There's lots of great ideas to have a fun and healthy Halloween and even possibly build in some new traditions that serve you and your family in the years going forward, even when things are maybe a bit more back to normal. So this year for Halloween for my family, because our kids are going to school, we are really feeling committed to limiting our other contacts. So we're not going to be handing out candy this year. If you want tips on how to hand out candy, go check out Dear Pandemic and the Slate article that's in the show notes. We are going to have a Halloween, kind of a family-only Halloween party for ourselves. We plan to go door-to-door trick-or-treating in our house. So every door in our house will be a trick-or-treating stop where my husband and I will be dressed up and hiding behind the door and the kids will get to knock on the door and get candy from us. The kids also have requested a Halloween Easter egg hunt and so we will be filling, taking the candy that they clicked when they go door to door in our house, to be clear, and then taking that candy, putting it in Easter eggs and having a candlelit Easter egg hunt outside. They're really excited about that. So we got a bunch of electric tea lights that will kind of guide their way to their candy outside. So 
that's what we're planning to do with Halloween, how we are planning to keep it fun and light and also safe for us and safe for our friends. Those are back in school. So I'd love to find out what you're planning for Halloween. I'd love to see pictures of your kiddos dressed up. Feel free to reach out to me and tag me in your photos on Instagram or send me a DM or an email. I'd love to know more about your plans and I'd love to connect with you. All right. So everybody, you all go out and have healthy, fun, treat filled Halloween if you celebrate. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.